The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. If you have a Bible, let's open it. Our Bible's to Acts chapter 13. And we're going to go through the first 12 verses. And we're going to be talking about discipleship. So let's bow our heads and pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We welcome the Holy Spirit uh, tonight. And we pray that you might speak to our hearts. Lead and guide us, Lord, in these very troubling times. We certainly want to lift up and pray for our nation There's so much uh, anxiety, and uh, Lord, we don't know what the future may hold. Uh, We want to continue to pray for our family and brothers and sisters and the communities, not only in Texas, but in that middle part of the country that has been hit so hard with this freezing cold. And uh, Lord, we, we pray that you would continue to watch over your people and especially believers that are able to reach out and help those who are in need uh, of whatever assistance, that the body of Christ will be a light to their communities and to their streets and homes. And now, Lord, may you minister to us. We hunger for the truth. Your word is a lamp under our feet, a light under our path. And our desire is not merely to learn you know, more things. We certainly want you to open our minds, our spirit. We're ready to see, we're ready to hear, we're ready to receive your word. But Lord, we are also desirous to follow you, to surrender to you, to give you our bodies as living sacrifices. We want to obey your word. So bless your people and all those who are listening to this evening's message in Jesus' wonderful, mighty name. And everyone said, amen. Okay, so I know that last week we ended uh, with the first three verses of Acts chapter 13, but I want to go back because I want to tell the whole, you know, the story again within the context. So go back with me to chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Uh, and I want to call the life lesson if you're taking notes. Um, by the way, you can get the notes here, you can also get them online. But the call to bring the whole gospel to the whole world. Verse one, it says, now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. I I just love that. Uh, These men, these five men that were part of the church there in Antioch, the diversity of the men, uh, racially, Uh, A couple of them are from Africa, and they were part of the leaders of the church in Antioch as God now turns uh, his attention to Antioch as the springboard for the spreading of the gospel throughout the entire world. Uh, And then he's got, there's a believer that's in the family of Herod, the Herod family that, you know, beheaded John the Baptist, the Herod family that had beheaded James, one of the 12 apostles, and in Herod's family, is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. So even, you know, in the places where we think, wow, uh, does the Lord have any influence? God has his people there. He goes before us. And then the last one is, of course, Saul. Now it says in verse two, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. 
And then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So right now, uh, we are in a period, we just started on February 17th, uh, of fasting and praying. We've asked all of you to join in. By the way, how are you guys doing? You doing okay? You're hanging in there? Are you excited about being able to fast and pray? Here, because when we fast and pray, God speaks, God gives revelation, God gives direction, and as we participate in that, I think it's very powerful. So the Holy Spirit gave direction, divine direction, out of this you know, large, growing church. And these five men, he said, now take and set aside two men, Saul of Tarsus and Barnabas, and I'm gonna start, I want the home church, Antioch, to send them now throughout the, the Roman world. They would literally, uh, Solomon and Barnabas would begin together, and Paul, the apostle, would literally take three journeys all the way around the Mediterranean, if you can picture that image in your mind. That was the heart of the Roman world. So literally, the whole gospel is gonna be going to the whole world. And this passage begins what I would call the most daring, challenging step ever taken by any organization in the history of the human race. The start of the church, literally of Jesus Christ, that today is 2.6 billion members from every nation, language, kindred, and tribe. So the church is launched. It is launched out now to be as missionaries, ambassadors, evangelists, and to bring the whole gospel to the whole world. So the Antioch church uh, remained committed to a global impact. They had a church that was praying for them, that was interceding for them, that was fasting for them. And what they would do is go to a new town, a new village, a new city, and they would share the gospel. There would be some believers. They would stay for a little bit of time, begin discipling them, and then they would, they would plant a church. Then they would pick up and move on, go down and through a ship to the next city, to the next country, raising up leaders to become literally international change agents. And this whole enterprise thrived because their vision was to send out leaders as a team. Now listen very carefully, because it wasn't just Saul and Barnabas, but we're gonna find that there was another that is going to be added, named John Mark, and there would be others. They would literally go out in teams. God sends us in teams. Jesus, when he had the 12, he would send them out two by two. Then he had 70, he still sent them out two by two. And sometimes it wouldn't be just two, but then there would be three or four or five. And he would send them as a team, uh, members with complementary gifts and a shared vision. So in the name of the Lord Jesus, may God raise up teams of people from Maranatha who will go into our own neighborhoods and into our own communities and into our own schools and into our own city and wherever else the Lord wants to bring them to literally bring the change of revival and the presence and fire and power of the Holy Spirit for such a time as this. Can I hear an amen on that? So they were able to go and connect with people 
and they produced results everywhere they went. And here's my prayer. I, I, you know, I'm reading this, studying this. Wow, look what Antioch did. And God used them to literally turn Rome upside down and inside out. And my prayer for this church, Maranatha Chapel, Lord, would you make us a new Antioch? I pray there are many Antiochs, but I want to be one of them. I want to be a place where it's a change agent. It's a place where people come and hear the Lord. In fact, I don't know the details of this story, but this last week, me and some of the pastors were out here because my office is right over there. And then the office doors are through that way. So we all meet out in the front, you know, before we get into our car and go have lunch together or whatever. And so, yeah, I don't know, there's six, seven of us getting ready to go to lunch. And this young teenage young man comes up and he's got a skateboard and he goes, hey, anybody a pastor around here? <laughs> it's like, yeah, we're all pastors, you know? So he goes, okay, I, think I need to talk to somebody. So anyway, then Pastor Doug went and he brought the guy in and, he, and Doug was sharing with me. I said, hey, Doug, who was that guy, that high school kid or whatever with a skateboard? He goes, I don't know. He goes, man, he just said he's, he's, God's like been speaking to him. I don't think he's been going to church or anything. He was, you know, originally raised Catholic or whatever, but he hasn't been involved or he's, but all of a sudden he said, I feel like God's getting my attention or God's speaking, something's going on. And he says, I didn't know what that was. And he goes, all of a sudden this thought dropped in my head, go to that church you've been by called Maranatha Chapel. Just go there and tell them what's going on. See if they know anything about what God might be up to. How's that? A teenager, and the thought drops in his head, go to Maranatha Chapel, I'm coming after you to reveal myself to you. Is that a good sign or what? So Lord, may that continue in Jesus' name. And the church reached out into the entire community. They reached all classes of people, rich, middle, and poor. They reached all nationalities, and all races, the church was an open door for literally anybody who wanted to know their creator and to know that he loves them and has a plan that is healthy and good for their lives. May that be what the church is. It's a welcome committee for anybody from whatever background they have to come into the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen, O oh Lord. Okay. So these men were chosen. I want to look up uh, John 15, verse 16. And let's, uh, here's what Jesus told the disciples. And, and through them, he is speaking to us. Let's read this out loud. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. So I love this. These guys are all, you know, Jesus comes, maybe they hear a Bible study, they hear, see a miracle, something happens, and then they think about it and they, they decide, I'm going to drop my nets and I'm going to follow. He is the Messiah. And then finally, as they begin following, they leave everything and they follow Jesus and now more miracles and more crowds and it's growing, this movement. And finally, one day Jesus sets them all down. He goes, hey, I want to let you guys in on a secret. I know you all chose to follow me, he goes, but I want you to know what's really going on. I chose you. Before you chose me, I chose you. God is in all the details, and he has chosen every single one of us 
to know him, to follow him, to love him, to obey him in everything that we do. We too are separated to allow the Holy Spirit to live in us, to live and move and have his being in us and through us for God's glory. All right, let's go on to verses four and five. And I'll I'll say this. After hearing the Spirit's voice, we must obey his voice. So after they were praying, they're fasting, the Holy Spirit speaks through somebody. Somebody said, hey, this is what I feel the Lord is saying to me, that we're to separate Paul and Barnabas. It wasn't a voice you know, from up in heaven, but I believe somebody just shared. This is what the Lord's telling me that he is saying, and they received it. So now, beginning in verse 4, it says, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went. <laughs> just stop there. The Holy Spirit said, I want you to go and do this. And they went. They decided to hear the voice of the Lord and to obey. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they also had John as their assistant. So I just want to notice, and what have you note, uh, that they are not striking out on their own. They are also not going because the church told them to go out. And they were not going because they chose this life as a profession. The source of their call, the whole reason that they are leaving everything behind and they're going out and to bring the gospel wherever the Lord would lead them is they were led by the Holy Spirit, the voice of the Holy Spirit. They came as a result of spending time in prayer and fasting, and now they're obeying, and God sent them out. Now, I want to say this, that every one of you has, because, you know, he's the father of all of us, and you have a divine mission, a divine commission. Literally, it's not just for you know, pastors or evangelists or missionaries or whatever. Every one of God's children has a divine purpose, a divine call. Wherever you are, you are to be shining as a light. You are to be a witness of the reality of the love, of the mercy, of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't know, sometimes, you know, I know that there are people who think, well, I kind of have a secular calling and Pastor Ray and other people are doing, you know, the holy things or the Bible things or those kind of, whatever that is. No, that's not true. You have a divine call. Everything that you can do is a a opportunity for you to be a light for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to just share, I'm going to go through five things real quick. Because as the Lord sent them out, and they took their life as a divine calling, they were, uh, they were aware of five encouraging things. So all five of these things I'm going to mention, yes, they applied to Saul and Barnabas, but they also apply to you and to me. Number one, they were sons of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 14, let's read this out loud. All who are led by God's Spirit are God's sons and daughters. All right? They're children of God. 
You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. You are the apple of his eye. He delights in you. You please him without having to do or perform anything. He just thinks you're cool, amazing, and awesome, and he loves you intensely just because he made you. How cool is that? He is crazy about you. He cannot stop thinking about you. David wrote in the Psalms, if I were to number all of the thoughts you have toward me, they're more than the sand of the sea. Literally, you can't. So he is continuously, it's almost as if as you and I look up individually, our father is staring at us, looking at us, smiling over us, loving us, blessing us, encouraging us, protecting us. And he's drawing us in saying, oh, I cannot wait for your future that I have prepared for you. And I'm with you and I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. You are precious to me. Okay, number two. So they knew that, you need to know that. Number two, the Holy Spirit would be abiding with them. So now that the Spirit came into them, they're not alone. And no child of God is alone. The Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, dwells inside of you and me. So John 14, 16, let's read this out loud. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Now I'm gonna just say this. If you could just for a moment really believe that, you could open yourself very simply in a childlike way to hear the Lord speaking deep within you. And when this is how you'll know you're hearing the voice of your Father, is that it will be with goodness and with kindness and with encouragement and with love and with joy as he wants to minister and to bless your life. So they would be abiding. The Holy Spirit would be abiding with them. Number three, the Holy Spirit would be guiding them from within. Now, everybody look up here for just a moment. The Holy Spirit comes on us in us, and he's, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are like a living stone. So there are many stones that make up the temple, but each stone is alive, and we're not stone. We're flesh and blood, and the Holy Spirit is in us. But I want to say to you this. Um, it's something that, that ministers to me and it blesses me. How, does the, how do I know, you know the Holy Spirit is leading me or speaking to me or whatever? I want everybody to point right here. Point to your stomach, to your gut, uh, to what they you know, call the, the, the bowels of mercy. Did you know that the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, out of your innermost being, which he was talking about, out of your innermost belly, will gush forth rivers of living water. So I want you to realize that, you know, the, the phrase that we have in English is, you have a, a gut instinct. And your, your brain is all rational. What about this? What about that? And you're being told various and sundry things, and you're trying to line it up and make it all make sense and rational, whatever, and the Holy Spirit's going, uh-uh, don't, no, that's not it. No, don't do that. I know that sounds right. It sounds good, but it's not, no, try, and your gut, have you ever had a battle between your head and your gut? And how many times have you found, my gut instinct was right. 
I went with what I was talked into or what I rationalized into or whatever, but so what I just want to say is that the Holy Spirit is in us to lead us and to guide us, and it's like a river. So part of prayer is getting to a place where you're not just thinking or intellectualizing everything, but you're waiting upon the Lord, and you're, by waiting, you're allowing the Holy Spirit from deep within, he will give you peace, he will give you confirmation, he will give you joy. What I want to say to you is those times where you went, man, I, I actually went with what was in my, you know, my gut, as it were, it just was right, and then you have confirmation. That's what it's like to be a child of God. The Holy Spirit leads us and guides us from within. We learn then to yield to the Holy Spirit. We grow in our knowledge and understanding and relationship with him. The Holy Spirit would be guiding them. Number four, the Holy Spirit would be giving them the words to say. So let's read this out loud. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. John 14, 26. So that's another beautiful encouragement confirmation. The Holy Spirit will lead you. Have you ever been in a conversation and all of a sudden somebody asks you, you know, they know that you're a Christian or you're, you go to church or whatever, and they go, well, what, what about this? And you're like, oh my gosh, I don't have all the answers. I'm not the Bible answer man, uh, you know. And you just start talking and sharing. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit, you know, gives you thoughts, ideas. You start maybe remembering scriptures that you didn't even know you'd memorized. And you start saying, and it just kind of flows and it comes out. And they're like looking at you like, wow, where did you, where did you get all that? That makes so much sense. And you're like, I don't know. There are times where I have been speaking like that. The Holy Spirit's dropping all this stuff in me and on me, and I'm like, man, I wish I had a recording. This is awesome. But I also know it's not me. The Lord gave me the words. I didn't study for it, prepare for it. You know, life doesn't come that way. A lot of times you're just dropped in a situation. How exciting, how confirming, how encouraging. In the moment when you needed it, the Holy Spirit will be there and he will give you the guidance and the direction and the words. Can I hear an amen? amen. Is what I'm saying making sense? Yes. You know what I'm saying. Okay, number five, last one. And this is very important. True discipleship is caught, not taught. I'm not saying that you can't study the Bible. I'm not saying that we should study the Bible. We should learn. We should grow. We should add to our knowledge and understanding. But to be a disciple... It doesn't come from just going to a seminar and reading a book and then automatically there you are. Being a disciple, and in fact, if I could say this, they, so here you have Saul and Barnabas, they're older men, and then they decide to take with them on their journey a younger man whose name is John Mark. And they're, what they're really wanting to do is disciple John Mark. So they're at a certain age, they have a younger man, and they said, hey, John Mark, go with us. What does it mean? It wasn't that they were going to go sit in a class, take notes, read books, and make book reports. It was, no, we're getting on a ship, like, you know, this Friday, and we're going, we're sailing, and we're going to this new city that we've never been before, and we're going to go share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he's alive, that he's risen, that people can be given the forgiveness of their sins. And... 
So what we want you to do is to come help us, assist us, and here's how you're going to learn. You're going to use your eyes, you're going to use your ears, you're going to use your feet and your hands. You're going you're gonna to learn it by being with us and being around us, and then do what you see us do. Share what you hear us sharing, and learn and grow and experience in that way. So my question for you this evening is, is there someone younger than you following you, behind you? Obviously, we start with our own children, sons and daughters, but maybe there's another situation or it could be a niece, it could be a nephew, it could be someone else that, that you're, you know, not only chronologically, but spiritually, you're further down the road than them. And you kind of adopt them and say, hey, stick with me, walk with me. And let's share life together. And I'm, I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to pray with you. And I want you to kind of, you know, not that I've arrived, but I've been walking with the Lord for longer than you. And I want you to learn from me. That's what discipleship really is all about. It's something it is caught and not simply taught. So that's verses four and five. Let's go to verses six uh, through 12. And basically, I want to just say this. The kingdom of God is not built without a struggle. So beginning in verse 6, it says, Now when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. Whoa. So Bar means son of Jesus. And he's Jewish, but he's a false prophet. Verse 7, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man, this man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. So here's Saul and Barnabas are going around uh, and they get to the the, uh, country of Cyprus and they're going from town to town and village to village. And as they are going through this island, they pass through the capital city, which is called Pathos. The best way I could describe it is as it, the capital city is where everything was happening. It was kind of a resort town uh, in the Mediterranean. Uh, it was kind of a nightclub atmosphere. It's where you wanted to go and party and experience all the pleasures that Rome had to offer. And the guy that, who was from Rome overseeing that part of Cyprus was a man named Sergius Paulus, and he is a seeker. He is trying to find meaning to life. And there is a a Jewish guy uh, who's very religious, a spiritualist, but he's a false prophet, but his name is Bar-Jesus, son of Jesus, son of Yeshua. So Sergius is, he doesn't know, so he's like a little bit drawn to this guy, and this guy's having influence on him. And then lands Saul and Barnabas, And they see Sergius and they go, wow, that Roman guy, kind of like Cornelius, if we win him to the Lord, he could have influence over the whole country of Cyprus. But there's this false prophet who has the name of Jesus, but who's leading him astray. He was a wolf in sheep's clothing. In fact, Jesus said, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. So here they found a false Jewish prophet who attached himself to Sergius Paulus, the highest ranking official of the island, a man of power and influence, 
And he is seeking the truth. So look with me again now in verse 8. In verse 8 it says, But Elimus the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them. So Saul and Barnabas want to bring the truth. And this guy is opposing them. Yeah, you're, you're breaking in on my territory. Seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. And then Saul, who is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. Uh-oh, look out. Jesus is in Paul's eyes. He's looking this false prophet, and he recognizes a demonic spirit, lying spirit. And he said, oh, fall of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Woo! Man. Okay, here's what I want you to look at for verses 8 through 12. A warning of false prophets, false religions. They always mix truth with error. So I know that there are many of you that you have a background in other religions and false religions and some of you in cults and some of you even into the occult and a variety of different things. And I want to just share with you the common denominator to all false religions Every single one of them starts with truth. By the way, they, they all have some truth in them. Otherwise, nobody would pay any attention to them. So they have some truth. But they always mix in something that is error. So that's what it's all about. When the devil came to tempt Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden about the tree, you know, he said some things that were true and then he mixed in other things that were not true. Oh, God knows in the day that you eat of this fruit, your eyes will be open and you shall be as God's. Hath God really said thou shalt not eat of the tree of this? And, and so he started with truth, then he mixed in air, and the next thing you know, they have been taken. So, you know, in a practical way, let me ask you this. So all false religions have truth in them. So you have to be careful, not, you know, somebody that goes to you and they say, yeah, but they said this and it's true and they said this and that's how they work. They get you, so you believe in this, right? Yeah, you believe in that, yeah. Before you know it, you've answered seven questions. You're nodding, yeah, 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 yeah. And then they go, but, something you didn't know. It's a secret, but, this. And then they throw in a little air. Oh, well, how do you justify that? Or that doesn't, and they go, well, if you spend time with me, I'll bring you into it. It's kind of an inner thing that you'll need to know. And we'll, so then they, they've got you. Truth, 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 truth. A little bit of funny stuff, air. Truth mixed with air. How many of you would agree with me if somebody that, you know, made you a really your favorite sandwich and they go, but yeah, look, I'm gonna just put one drop of cyanide in. Just a drop. Don't worry about it. Look, it's good. The fresh bread, the whole thing. Just put one little dropper in there. How many would say, no, thank you. I don't care if it's one drop, any, one drop of toxin, one drop of poison, one tiny lie messes with the whole deal. I don't know about you, but when I drink water, I don't want anything contaminating the water. I want pure, uh, pure fresh, clean water. Can I hear an amen on that? So that's what we want with the truth. That's what we want with the word of God. So here is a principle of spiritual warfare, the kingdom 
of God is, is now ready to go, but the devil was there. The devil knew Saul and Barnabas, and now this younger guy, he, he's there with his demons following them, and the devil's already been working on this Roman proconsul guy because, because he also knows if I can win Sergius Paulus to my side, I can stop Christianity. So there was a battle. Here we have a principle of spiritual warfare. The kingdom of God is not built without a spiritual battle. The forces of evil are engaged in unceasing warfare against the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these powers of darkness are especially active when the truth is being proclaimed. So beware of that, know that. Know that those who preach the word of God will be met by the wily foe of the devil, whether it's with family, with friends, with coworkers, with neighbors, the enemy's gonna come there to kind of resist it. So you need to realize the Lord will be with you and he will watch over you. So again, I wanna read uh, beginning of verse nine. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him, and said, O full of deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Just judgment. He was the blind leading the blind and his judgment was he was struck blind. So then he had to go around, hey, help, help, I can't, you know, I don't know where to go, he's, he's blind. Now it wasn't eternal judgment, but it was a temporary judgment, and I believe God's purpose in bringing that blindness to that man was to say, dude, you are in dangerous territory for your eternal soul. And therefore, if you come under the judgment of God, it wasn't like he was thrown in hell. It wasn't the day of judgment. He got judged because he was leading someone that God wanted to win through Saul and Barnabas into the kingdom of heaven. He was leading them to hell. So he stopped that man. Now note this, Saul or Paul didn't make him blind. The Holy Spirit did it. The Holy Spirit brought the judgment and it was with an opportunity to repent. Trust me, there are many, many men and women who have got caught into lies, cults, weird things, and then they begin experiencing not eternal judgment, but they begin experiencing a little bit of hell on earth. Doesn't matter if you went into drugs, you went into some weird cult, some immorality thing, God allows you to experience a little bit of hell. It's not permanent, it's not eternal yet, but you're gonna taste hell. And then you have the opportunity to say, you know what, I don't like the taste of hell. I don't like this darkness. I don't like what these drugs are doing to me. I don't like how this you know, immorality is just cutting my soul into a million pieces and I'm, it's never satisfied. I'm done with it. I'm ready to turn around, hear the truth, be set free, be delivered from this demonic thing and come and walk into the light. Can I hear an amen, hallelujah? That's what it's all about. So God's grace and mercy were extended to him. So now verse 12, and I'll close with this. Then, I 
love this. It's so cool. You have a demonic confrontation. You have a sign from God. The guy is struck blind. And, and here's the Roman guy trying to figure it all out. And here's what that guy said. Then he sees Saul and, and uh, Barnabas. He hears about Jesus. Then he, he watches Saul look at the guy and say, you know what? You're, what you're teaching is trash. The Lord rebuke you. And blindness is coming upon you. And the guy's literally struck blind. Then Saul turns around and says, so, Sergius, back to the Lord Jesus Christ. How, what do you think about accepting him? And then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's authority in the name of Jesus. There's deliverance from drugs, demons, sexual addictions. He delivers people. He saw, when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. When God does something supernatural and he confirms his word in a sign in a way that you can see it, it's like, okay, done, I'm in. I believe. I'm, I'm a follower now. And so I love that. We're not only going to see Cornelius, the Roman centurion, but one day when we get to heaven, you're going to remember, you know, we got eternity. You're going to remember, hey, I remember being in church that one night with Pastor Ray, Maranatha, there was this guy named Sergius. You look up in heaven, walking down the street, and this guy will go, hey, you know, we're in a little Roman toga, maybe. Sergius, I remember the story about you. Man, let's go have lunch. I want to hear the story from your own lips. How cool would that be? Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.